Welcome back to Absurdity. I am sitting in front of a beautiful, beautiful specimen of a man, and that is Tony Anoboli. <laughs> beautiful specimen. Like I'm a thumbtack to the wall. Yeah, like pretty a, much. Like a butterfly. I study you. Yeah, that's fair. I study you. I, there's a lot to study. So. <laughs> this entire podcast is just a one giant experiment. And uh, literally everything from building it to the episodes, Dude, everything has been just one I'm giant not, experiment tailored to get you on the show. That's what the first 17 episodes were oh, for. Oh, that's fair. And then, um, and then it worked. And now we've just been studying you the been entire time. The time. All of our listeners are a group of scientists in a lab somewhere. You know, you're, you're making a joke, but honestly, there are times where I kind of feel like my life is, is I, like I have those moments where I'm like, is this, is this like the Truman show? Like this can't be real. This, this can't be real life. Like I have those types of moments where I'm like, is anybody else seeing this? I'm the only one that's seeing this, huh? Okay. You All know, right. I was watching a YouTube video last night of, it was 10 movies that have a small detail that give away like the entire plot. Right. And in the Truman show, there is a scene where Truman runs into a Mart and he runs into Marlon, his friend, yeah. his best friend. Yeah. And Marlon is restocking a candy machine. However, he wasn't expecting to run into Truman. So he um, he's stocking the candy, but he doesn't have enough actual candy to restock the vending machine. Yeah. So every time that, that Truman looks away, what he does is he, he stocks all of his candy and then he takes the first three out and then just continues restocking the same candy like three or four different times in the one yeah. scene. He's just restocking the same candy in the same slots and Truman never notices. And yeah. it's one of those scenes of, oh, that's the... Yeah. Like if, if Truman had been no it yeah. had been actually yeah. watching, he would have noticed. Well, the funny thing is, and this is the thing that people don't really understand, um like real life in your situation gets so yep. normalized so quickly, he would not have realized that anything was wrong. Like you as the audience would have figured out, like, oh, it's not normal for people to continually restock. But like that type of logic doesn't work. Like he was yeah. just growing up watching people constantly restock things. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, that little, like I have those Truman show moments where I'm like, I, I don't, is this, uh, that's a little strange. <laughs> like I joke. I, I remember one time I was driving back with one of my housemates uh, from chat back to, to uh, Michigan and it's in a storm and we happened to be listening to some criminal podcasts, but he'd chosen one that was all murders, like horrible, graphic, brutal murders. And we like more stuff like, oh, you know, somebody who, um, you know, uh, once uh, uh, stowed away on a boat, you know, and how did you do that? Or uh, someone who broke the law, you know, stuff like that. You know what I mean? Not like violent, terrible crime, but more like, okay, like how do you understand the mindset? Whatever. Mm. Like these are all like terrible, horrible, brutal murders. And we're like in this rainstorm, like driving back. We don't really know each other. And both of us apparently were thinking, and it's funny, we thought the same thing of like, this is like horrible. I don't want to be listening to this. Why are we listening to this? Why haven't I stopped it? I guess they want to listen to it. Literally, we're thinking about about the other person. We get back to my house. And as we get back to my house, like within five minutes, lightning strikes it hits a tree down the line but the power grid goes out so all the power in our house goes out and in my head i'm like oh this is how we die yeah he this planned is this like, yes this is how turns out the whole thing was foreshadowing he was and he's yeah, going to murder yeah. me and yeah. i'm like that is exactly how a genius would do it too yeah. no accurate it's yeah so that was I, um literally both of us found each other in the living room scared out of our wits we're like okay you're not trying to ruin no i thought you were gonna do it when you when you described that podcast, I, all I thought of was uh, Alexander's terrible, horrible, no good, yeah, very bad yeah, day. Yeah, um, and that I thought t- terrible, horrible, no good, very bad murders. That's, Murder that's podcast, the podcast. Yeah. Now I want to call it that. Um, no, I uh, I I'm glad your podcast was that way because I listened to a different podcast on crimes and it was Project Warhead. Oh, oh, oh. and just fair warning to everyone: that is an amazing podcast. Like. The yeah. quality of it's incredible. The honestly, like the content is incredible. It's incredibly educational, but at the same time, that is probably the darkest 
podcast that I personally have listened to. I haven't heard an episode, but that's what I, that's the buzz uh, is like, it's, it's so it, it follows, it follows basically a, the dark web child pornography ring. Yeah. And ends up and how they caught someone who basically ran it. And it's the whole story, including yeah. an actual interview with the guy. Didn't, didn't, wasn't it like Jared involved in that too from Subway? That oh, guy. I don't know. I, I think it no was idea. something, but or somebody like big. No, it involved a sting operation. Yeah. It, like no, it's actually incredible. Like the way that police were working on this yeah. case and everything, but just just to hear the guy, like the actual leader of that of that pedophile yeah. website, yeah. Um, that child that child pornography website. Let me be more specific. Um, the just to just to hear his own perspective and things and the way he thinks about his actions is just yeah. insane to me. It's mind blowing. Um, it yeah. is absolutely mind boggling. Um, so yeah, yours is much more positive. But yeah, fair warning: <laughs> anyone who wants to listen to Project Warhead, it is dark. You will you will have questions at the end about your own existence, and like you you'll lose some faith in the world and in humanity. So with that note, uh, we're here to talk about joy. And <laughs> recapturing joy and how you can be a happy, joyful person in the world by not listening <laughs> to Project Warhead. Um, no, no, I, uh, I actually, I listened to Project Warhead. It's only like six episodes. And I listened to it in like two days. Yeah. It was really good. You breeze through it. Um, well, sort of. <laughs> you can sort well, of breeze yeah. through it. In the same way that a hurricane breezes through. Yes, exactly. Yeah. No, so we're talking about servant leadership today and the entire point... I love your phone case, by the way. Thank you. So, okay. So currently my phone is being shipped off to the great big Apple in the sky to have the screen replaced or to have the entire device replaced. Cause this is the third time that my touch screen has completely malfunctioned. Do you know how like bad it feels to be so close to be able to see all the text messages and phone calls on your screen and not to be able to read them or access them because your touch screen literally doesn't work. Well, it's it's a, terrible. It, it's one of my biggest fears is like being paralyzed, like having that, like, like not like, you know, for the net, like being a quadriplegic, like you, you would learn and, and you have a quality of life, like having someone like hit you with like a paralyzing agent mm. and then, you know, burning your house down or something like that would be the, for me just to see and just be like, no, I can't do anything. Well, my, okay. So my thing was, um, I think the best way to describe my feeling was, and it's less, uh, less about quadriplegics and more about, have you ever locked your keys in the car or locked yes. your keys? It's like looking yes. in the window and yep. being able to see your Just keys know. and do, and be able to do nothing about I it. I once locked my, my car. It was an older car, which is how I was able to do it. But I once locked my car with the engine running. Nice. Yeah. Like, oh, well, I didn't need all that gas anyway. Yeah, literally. And it was on a Sabbath, like my first Sabbath at my church. Yikes. And the president of the conference was coming. And you're like, he call, was, and you have to like, call AAA. And and yeah, and literally, literally. I had to call a guy and he just like immediately put this like balloon in there and just went and then opened the car up. It was crazy, but yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that is that essentially what yeah. this feels like. It's like, no. You're looking through the window, but you can't do anything about yeah. it. So yeah, uh, thank you to a good friend of mine who, uh, and colleague who is letting me borrow their old iPhone 7, but it is a female colleague so I've got a rose gold iPhone with this case with little with little diamonds on the back, and it's actually really nice. I I, I like of, it. I, I like it. I like it. It's not a case I would normally go for, obviously, yeah. but I like it. So this just happened. Just for everyone understanding, you know, listening to this in the future, this literally happened right before we started recording, which is why I brought it up. So anyway, servant leadership. Yeah. So servant leadership. So. We decided to talk about this. Has actually been in our outline in yeah. our episode calendar for a while now. A while. We just don't adhere to our episode calendar whatsoever. Yep. But there has been, I think, enough going on in um, the world. Yeah, the world and in the church. There's just been so much stuff going on that I think now is a good time to talk about this because I think we have some concrete examples both you know, in current events and throughout the last, I would say, I don't know, 20 years, 30 years. Some of this goes back further than that, but I mean, we have enough that we think that this is a worthwhile thing to talk about because really, um, 
I think it's a needed thing. We've, I mean, people and Christianity has been talking about servant leadership for a long, long time. Don't get me wrong. It's not like this is some new found idea, but yeah. neither is apologies, forgiveness or conflict resolution. Yeah. So I think this is a warranted and a good conversation to have. And I think it can be helpful given the current state of politics and the current divisive state of everything. Yeah. I think this is a good time to have this conversation. Well, I think, and also I was recently in a church growth class and they were talking about how uh, turnaround churches and like, you know, what it takes to turn a church around. Um, and basically there were Barnet did a study where they said like to actually do that, the amount of work it takes for one person to do it. Um, you, it takes basically it takes so much out of you that you should only do once in your entire ministry mm. ever. Like that's the amount of burnout that could potentially happen. Um, and so that's the struggle that, you know, I look at and I'm like, okay, I think that's why it's so important, even though it's been a buzzword for, you know, a, a while now, um, that we still review it because it's like so many of our churches need a, a, a shakeup, you know, they need mm -hmm. to turn around um, because they're either declining or they've plateaued. Yep. Um, not necessarily in a bad way. It's just that that's their cycle and they need, um, good servant leadership to be able to turn around and, and keep growing and find a way to, you know, move forward. Um, and even as individuals, I think a lot of times we need to do that. Like when we're facing issues in work or whatever, like it's just good to review and be like, this is what it is. Cause it tends to be, it's such a, a buzzword catch all phrase that it tends to get, um, it tends to get misrepresented or misused. I think a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's the so there's this thing where there's this phenomenon. I don't know if you've ever had it where you were if you repeat a word a ton of times really quickly, it starts to sound weird. Like if you say the word weird too much, like you're like yeah. Okay, so that that is called semantic satiation. Yeah, and which is the hardest thing in the world to say, by the way. Moist. Satiation. Mo it's harder than encephalopathy. Satiation. All right. Um, semantic satiation. You nailed it on the second, like. Dead on again. Thank you. Well I tried. Um, the, but like the, my point yeah, being yeah. servant leadership kind of becomes like that where the word, the, the, the phrase or the term servant leadership starts to sound weird. It starts to sound like something that it isn't. And you yeah. start to, you start to question it after yeah, a while when, yeah. when it just becomes this understood part of what, of culture or life. So I, I do think yeah. it's worth talking about again. And I don't think that it's a cliche thing to talk about as a result given and, the way we're talking about it. And even if we've heard it a lot, I think there's also a lot of people who haven't heard it, um, especially if you haven't been super involved in church leadership mm. over the last 10, 15 years. Um, then it's going to be like, uh, I don't really know about that. Because it's not something that doesn't, that it's, it's one of those things that kind of almost doesn't exist outside of Christianity. Um, like I, I, I told the story, I think on this podcast before, but I went to Catalina one time on a, on a field trip with my family. Um, and, and my mom had a little school homeschool group that she, um, helped run and they went out and I remember going there and I was just like, so frustrated, like, Oh, I don't want to go with all these kids. I'm on my spring break in college, you know? And, and I'm not saying like, I wanted to go to Cozumel or something, but it was like, okay, not Catalina Island with a bunch of fifth graders. Mm. Um, and we get there and we get to this camp and all of a sudden at the, you know, like the introduction, the orientation, they're like, Oh, we're going to talk about certain things and a lot and how to be good stewards of the earth. And I was like, immediately like, ding, um, that's not a word normal people use. <laughs> and sure enough, it turned out to be a Christian camp. And I think servant leadership is something like that, where if, unless you're really in a, a, high tech or progressive field, you're not really going to hear things like servant leadership. That's not going to be the thing yeah. um, that gets pushed. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's important um, to discuss that and really go through. Cause I think it's, it's, there's value in it. Yeah. Absolutely. And if nothing else, at least talking about and bringing up the discussion. Yeah. So let's um, do as we do and define servant leadership. Um, so Tony, how would you actually define the term? So I would say servant leadership is a style You're of, wrong. <laughs> um, it's a style of, I haven't, I haven't had my gossip juice. Yes, man. Like, huh. let me fair. Let me, 
Let me. It's roll. on the way. It's literally going <laughs> it's to be delivered mid recording. Yeah. Um, no. So like, I, I, it's a style of leadership that, um, is in opposition to say one that has, uh, promotes the leader in a sense. Mm. Um, and is more of a bottom down understood approach than a top down. Hmm. In a very broad general sense, that's how I understand serving. Wait, when you say bottom down, you mean bottom up? Sorry, yeah, bottom, bottom up, bottom up to top. I was like, down. bottom yeah. down is no goes nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> bottom oh, down, it, we're it digging. Does go, but it, yeah, it's, it's, it <laughs> we're just digging at that point. Doesn't accomplish anything. Yeah, for a bottom up rather than top down uh, mm. style of um, authority yeah. and understanding. I would agree. I think I think it sees authority not uh, the main thing is that is servant leadership doesn't see authority as something to be hoarded or kept, but rather something in, in, in power. Uh, rather, it sees it as something to be given and to be given responsibly, um, but given away yeah. um, to others. And, and well, it, so like, all right, so let's talk about what servant leadership is, right? Some things that looks at it so that people can kind of understand, because that definition is super broad. Um, Servant leadership is inspiring, first of all, right? Like it's not authoritarian. It's not, uh, it doesn't engender fear. Um, it's not, you know, it's all those types of things, but the, like it's inspiring. Like a servant mm. leader is someone who um, tries to make the people around them better. And I think that's a huge key for understanding to me, it's like foundational for understanding servant leadership. Yeah. Um, to be the, the first among equals is to inspire the people. And I think that's, that's a key. Yeah. Um, I think, I think the other thing that it does is it, I, what's the best way to put this? Um, I think servant leadership does, it, it participates in the grind, all right. So, yeah. so it's like, I, I guess the, the the best example I have of this, unfortunately, is myself. Um, whether that's good or bad, um, but there was a, one of the first Saturdays that I was in my church district pastoring. Uh, we had potluck, a fellowship meal, whatever you want to call it, right after the service. All of us were sitting in there, and um, no, I think it was the very first Saturday I was there. Well, after potluck is down, we fold up all the tables and put away all the chairs. And as we're doing so, right afterwards, one of my, one of my, turns out she was one of the main church leaders, local, local leaders. Um, she comes up to me right afterwards and she shows me a picture of myself carrying chairs that she took. And I questioned her, like, why did, why did you take this? And like, like are you stalking me? And what she is- was like, this is the first time in five years that the pastor has ever helped clean up anything after, after potluck or whatever. Um, like this was, and, and for them, it was a healing moment. Like they had, they had been through a whole lot in the last 10 years. And in the last five years, it had gotten really bad. And for them, it was this moment of, wow, he's like going to be yeah. with us one in us. this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. One of us. And, and, and that was something that was really appreciated. I thought nothing of it. And I'm not saying like, Oh, I'm a perfect server leader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That's not it at all. I'm just saying like that, that is what I mean by participates in the grind. He does, one thing that leadership tends to do because you, you, you have to at some point disengage from the, from the menial grind that you were doing before because your responsibilities as a leader change. Like you have to now be delegating things or you have to be making bigger decisions. But the idea behind servant leadership is that you never forget where you came from and you're always willing to do it. Should, should the either opportunity arise or should you need to, like you're never too important to take out the trash. You never ask anyone to do something that you haven't done or aren't willing to Mm -hmm. do or are willing to do Um, now. Yes. Yeah. I think that's, that's so huge too, because when you look at like these big guys and, and it's not to knock them, but like everyone wants to worship at the altar of Steve jobs. Um, not everyone. There are quite a lot of people who want to do that. And, and rightly so the man was a genius, but at the same time, if you ask any of the people who worked under him, um, I mean, the man couldn't code a line if you put a gun to his head. Like he could not write yeah. any code. And there were just like certain things that he was not a good servant leader. Like he was not 
like it was understood. Like if he had to make his own coffee, you know what I mean? Basically everyone was fired. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did inspire a lot of things. Not to say he wasn't a good leader, not to say he wasn't a good businessman, not to say he wasn't innovative, but he was not a servant leader. Um, I think the other thing that a servant leader, it, 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 and I think like this isn't, it's an extension of that thing. So it doesn't like necessarily define them, but I think it's something that they do, which is that they share power um, by definition. You know what I mean? Hmm. Um, and they're willing to, to share authority yeah. um, and give people the ability to do what they need to do. Um, the best bosses I've ever had, ever, 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 um, gave me enough rope to either swing myself over and have success or hang myself. Um, the and they prob- give you the opportunity to do to, either. To do either one yeah. um, on my own merit. It's either you build something awesome with this or you're going to completely fail catastrophically. Mm. And um, I'd like to think that I succeeded in those roles. <laughs> um, but, Man, you know, debatable. the reality is like, I, you know, you always make mistakes and you, but you move forward. But the re- to me, it was just that idea of I actually, you know, I had hiring power. I had firing power. I had um, maybe not necessarily the authority to do it, but if I said this person needs to go, they would sit down and say, okay, we're going to figure out how to make this happen. Yeah. Um, and, and it wasn't, you know, uh, more than anything else, it was like if I came up with a plan because that, that seems extreme and I, and I never really had to do that. Um, but it was more along the lines of I, I hired the people that let me choose who they thought would be best, who I thought would be best. Um, if a situation, you know, was if I planned out a situation, it was like, okay, yeah, good. Show me the reasons why, justify it, and then go for it. Um, wasn't micromanaging. Yeah. And that's not to say that sometimes as a leader, you, you sometimes you do have to have your hands in. Um, but it also shares, you know, it, it doesn't, a servant leader doesn't mind giving people the ability to also lead. And it's part of it being inspiring. I mean, it's part of inspiring people. Like you can't really inspire people if they don't have room to grow. Correct. And I think that's part of it. Well, and I think, I think the other half is it, it is someone who is willing to give away power or give opportunities like that and authority and real authority means that it, what they do can actually impact what you as a leader can do, right? It, it is actually, so, so servant leadership to some degree, it is a calculated degree, but it is still a degree uh, is vulnerable. Like yeah. there is vulnerability yeah. involved. Absolutely. Um, There's risk. Yeah. Yeah. It is a risk. Um, it is vulnerable and you can be hurt. And, and like, that's just, um, it is an act of trust and that can be met by, you know, betrayal or it can be met by major success and, um, and gratitude and appreciation. So, and, and, and I think with that sharing of authority, I think it also shares the glory, right? Absolutely. Um, it doesn't, you take the blame, but you share the glory. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, the big, a, a, a good servant leader does that. Take the blame, but share. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, this person was under my authority. It's my fault. I gave them the authority to do that. But at the same time, when they do well, you point at them and just say, this is the person I hired. Like, this is all them, mm-hmm. you know? One of the things that I always do whenever someone comes to me with an idea is I tell them, okay, if you come to me with a pitch, with a full, with, you know, with a p- proposal ready to go of these are the steps that I'm going to take to make this happen, and then, um, then I will make sure that you have what you need to do it. Yeah. But if you come to me with an idea and ask me to do it, I'm going to tell you no. <laughs> yeah. Because like, and honestly, like some ideas have completely... Most of the time, someone comes in with an idea. I tell them to go do that, and then it, they never come back. Like they never even do it. Yeah. Even though I've told them, if you do this, I will make sure you have the resources you need to make it to make it happen. The support. The, yeah, yeah. But I'm not going to do this for you. And and I think that's that's the other half of servant leadership is um, you have wise boundaries um, that say I'm not yes. going to be. You know, I'm not going to be pushed over a welcome mat, but, in, yeah. but rather I'm going to set defined lines of, th- of places that I will not cross. And those boundaries by me keeping them also empower you, help you and support you. Like they are, they're the definition of a healthy boundary. Yeah, absolutely. 
Oh, absolutely. And I think in that way, it also encourages them um, yeah. by having those boundaries and saying like, hey, you know, um, you're doing a good job. Like I don't, you don't need to, to take over. And, mm. and, but, but just continuing to pour into these people, um, your people. Um, I think also a big thing for me is you're willing to sacrifice your personal gain for the good of the community. Um, doesn't necessarily mean you have to do it all the time. You know, I'm not saying, you know, sell all your clothing, put on sackcloth and ashes. Um, I, I was, I was, I was going to say that. Right. That's your thing. Not my yeah. thing. That's yours. Um, but it's like at the same time, I think the willingness to, um, you ever seen the series Poldark? No, I have not. So it's a BBC. Very good. Very classic. Aiden Turner's absolutely fantastic job. Um, Eleanor uh, Thompson also. They they just great chemistry between the two. Um, set in like right after the American Revolution in England, and he's uh, living in an area where there's a bunch of mines, and he's like gentry, the royal. Um, you know, the, the he's a in part of the royal class but he actually goes into the mines and works with the common workers. Mm. And that's one of the things that they appreciate is the fact that like when things are hard for him, he puts his profits into the community. Um, like he's, you know, he says like, yes, I have my personal gain, but if I want to make sure that you guys have food, even if it's not even the best food, you know, good food that, other people are having it's as long as you have something I will sacrifice getting better food for me to make sure that you have food. I think that's such a huge, um, such a huge thing. They appreciate that. They've seen that and the willingness to put your personal gains after the good of the community. Um, even the willingness I think is, is important for that. So you can just push the door. Thank you. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I think is big is accountability. Um, so I think a, a good servant leader starts accountability and models it. Mm. So they're the springboard. They are the first place. So they they hold people... So not you're inspiring, you're encouraging, but you're also holding people accountable to the tasks that you have put for them. That's the leadership part of it, right? You're not you're not a servant. Um, you're the leader. So what you have to do, and in my mind, I always put like if I was in the apocalypse, right? Like if the zombie apocalypse takes over, um, you know, we have to survive in like a Walking Dead zombie wasteland. Like, how would this work? I can't and, believe you just describe college so flippantly. Yeah. Um, you know, how do you, how do you do? And so, which is basically just finals week. It's just this giant moving horde that desires brains. Um, Amen. but yeah, like basically when, you know, how would you survive in that wasteland? And then one of the things as a leader is like, you, you do have to lead. Like, otherwise it's just chaos. You have to have a plan. You have to have a vision. You have to inspire. Um, but you also have to hold people accountable. Like if, you know, Gary doesn't go and get the gas. We can't drive the boom, boom truck. So correct. You, Gary has to go get the gas. And if Gary doesn't do it, you have to hold him accountable. Um, another great movie for this. Did I ever tell you about the movie defiance with Daniel Craig? No. Do you remember, like, I want to say 2004, um, Lee Schreiber plays a brother. There's the, Oh, I want to say Bielski brothers. Um, I know nothing, but anyway, so, um, these basically these two Polish communities that resisted the Nazis. One of them just went out in the woods and then one of them, uh, became part of like the act of Polish resistance. And the one that was out in the woods literally survived out the entire for the war. I think it was like six, seven years or something like that. Um, and what's, what's crazy about it is he met this one guy basically managed to kind of hold this whole community, him and his uh, wife together. Um, alone and keep them alive, get them supplies. Like it was a crazy amount and it, that took leadership, but it also took mm. all those things. Like he's a great example of a servant leader. Like when times got tough, he got tough. When times, you know, required a, an easy hand or encouragement, he did that. And those things I think are, are huge when we're talking about 
being a servant leader. Um, also, it's just a fun, you know, Daniel Craig in a not, you know, James Bond role, which mm. the new one's coming out. I really want to watch it. No time to die. <laughs> so I think, yeah, no, no, I agree with that. And I think the last thing I would say is they are willing to, out of genuine care, I would add out of genuine care for right. the pe- for the group yeah. that they belong to or, or leading, they're willing to sacrifice personal gain for the good of that group. Right. And they're not doing it for the good of that group so that they can get reelected or, you know, whatever, or get all of the bragging rights. But rather they're saying, here's something that could help me, but harm my group. I'm intentionally not going to do it because I want to make sure the group goes, um, that all of us rise together. However, on the flip side of that, they're also willing to say, here's something that will probably hurt me, but be good for the group. I'm willing to do that as well, whether that's in yeah. reputation or physically yeah. or whatever. Um, it does not mean that they're always willing to just immediately, it does not, well, and here's what we, here's a good transition into what it isn't. Yeah. Um, it does not mean that they're willing to be taken advantage of or just be in constant pain, right? Servant leadership is not a constant state of sacrifice. Um, it is a, um, yeah, not a constant state of sacrifice. Instead, it is sacrificing when you need to. It is it is a calculated risk and a calculated sacrifice. Right. But there is leadership involved and in there, there are times where you have to do something for the good of the group that may seem like it's not good for the group at first. Like there are times where you as a leader know things and- like Controversial decisions. Yeah, it's, it's just a controversial and decision. And you're always- So it is, it is not just, just um, always sacrificing and always being in pain so that others aren't. If that's the case, it's unhealthy leadership in my opinion. So let's- kind of talking about what it is. Let's talk about what it isn't because there are a lot of, to me, I think that's where a lot of the, I don't think anyone would disagree with anything we said so far about servant leadership that might even add to what it is. But I think that there are a lot of misunderstandings and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Like misrepresentations, I guess, of, Mm. of what it isn't. So this is what, this is what it is. And we made like a bit of a list. Um, so being a servant leadership is you are not a welcome mat, right? Like your job is to not just get walked over by everyone. Um, this is where you are a little bit too far on the, on like the servant side. Um, you are not expected to just let anyone get what they want in servant leadership. And that Correct. I think it's the, that's the hardest part. I think for, for someone like who's non-confrontational, right. And they just want to like, they want to serve in a way that just makes everyone happy. Yeah. And, and that's hard. I think, um, I think also they're, um, they don't, they stay in their lane. And the best way to put this is for pastors, uh, not a therapist. Um, they, they're not there to, um, to listen to every problem and make it go and, and help you make it go away. They're yeah, not there. Right. Like they're not, they stay in their lane as far as what their qualifications are. And this goes along with not being a pushover or a welcome mat. And and like they understand the limits of what they can do. And so they will refer, they will, they, they will tell you when a boundary is being violated, yeah. whether that is intentional or non-intentional. Right. And, and and it goes back to that kind of thing with boundaries. It's like, yeah, you're not everyone's therapist. You're not here to solve everyone's problems. Yeah. Um that's part of part of that I think the real struggle with uh delegating. I struggle with this a lot <laughs> was letting people get out of their own messes. Um, when I was a Pathfinder director for a year, this was the hardest thing. Cause I'd run the group for a while. Pathfinders is, is like boy Scouts, girl Scouts, except it's for the Adventist church and it's they're combined. It's co-ed. Um, and what's crazy about it is when I transitioned from being like the guy that did everything to the guy in charge. Um, that transition was super hard because I had no problem assigning people tasks, but then they would get in trouble. And my natural instinct was to be like, oh yeah, I know how to fix this. Mm. But it, I had actually let them figure it out. Figure it out. Yep. And, and, and I did it. It's real hard to do that. It is so hard because especially you know the better way to do it. Um, or the the way to get out of it. And it's like, yeah, but if I'm the only one that ever learns that, like you can guide. And that's what I certainly did. It was like, okay, well, let's work through this process together. Like, you know, 
why aren't they paying attention or what, you know, what can you do? You know, how do you start? Like, let's, let's break it down and, and teach them model that process. Um, and I had awesome leaders. So this only happened like once or twice. Um, I gotta be honest. I had a really good group of leaders under me. Um, but that was what I really, really struggled with. Same time as being a pastor. Like, um, one of the things I noticed is when I showed up to our Wednesday night, uh, youth led worship service, I w- if there was a problem, I fixed it. If something was missing, I was in tr- like they would plug me in, which I yeah. was totally fine to be willing for. But it was like, okay, if I don't show up, you have to solve this. Mm. If there is no option, you have to figure it out on your own. And it's still working. You know, it's still running. It's a ministry that's still it's it's gone on beyond me, and I'm very grateful for that and glad for that. But sometimes I would intentionally not show up, and and you know, I I know that that hurt my reputation uh, for sure. In fact, that was one of the big complaints was, you know, he didn't show up to stuff. But at the same time, it was like, okay, yeah, but you figured out how to lead it. And if there was a huge problem, you know, I walked through, I walked people through it. I didn't have a problem with that. Um, but it's that type of thing where it's like, you have to let people get out of their own messes. And that's yep. hard. It is. But that's that's part of empowering is letting them figure it out because they will be better at the end. And then all of you exactly. at the same po- at, at the same place. So yeah, I, I would agree there. Um I think the, the, the last two I would say here are um, not out for self-preservation or self-protection. So they're, they're not going to use the group for their own personal gain. Um, and so they see the group as people. They don't see the group as, and, and this, is, this is what it isn't. They don't see the group as pawns or as tools. A means um, to an end. A means to an end, yeah. correct. And uh, the last thing I would say there is they're not trying to be the savior. Um, we call it the Messiah complex, but it's when someone comes in and thinks, yeah, I can fix this. This is, right. I'm, yeah. I'm God's gift I'm the to only you. Person. I am the I only been, person that can do this. I've been, you know, I'm the chosen one in this role and it sounds per- like, oh, it's ridiculous. No one believes that. You would be surprised how often that happens mm-hmm. where you get this in the church, outside of the church, this, I am the, I'm the only person that can bring this to success. Yeah. Um, I mean, how many dictators have had that? Every single one of like, them? Like like a lot, I don't want to say a lot of them. There are quite a few dictatorships that were started because there was rampant corruption and they wanted to try to fix it. And then they found the only way to, to really fix it was to create like this thing where I'm in control of everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and then the problem is the power gets to your head. And so I think a lot of times that idea of I'm not using this to my own personal gain and, and I'm not going to protect myself. Yeah. We talked about the vulnerability. Um, I'm not going to try to keep my leadership. If this, if this vision isn't the right one, then it, then it's not going to catch on. If it is the right one, people are going to see it. It's going to work. It's going to catch on. Um, I think that's the, the bigger issue is I don't, you know, for me, any job that I do, I don't try to preserve it for me. I don't like, I try to do the best job I can. I don't know if that's a millennial thing. Um, you know, I've made decisions in virtually every job I've, I've worked at that not put it necessarily at risk, but it was, a, it, it wasn't the most real politique, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, because I, I'm not interested in that, you know, um, because I don't believe I'm the savior. Yeah. I don't believe that I have the best thing to figure everything out. I think I have something that'll help and bring it to the table, but it, it, it's not going to work unless you get the people behind you. And so to get yeah. that Messiah complex, I mean, it, it's just, it's so, it's so rampant. I think sometimes we don't even recognize it sometimes this no. savior complex. Well, I mean, the, the, the the cla- the most classic example I can think of the messiah of the messiah complex or the savior complex is basically every federal election that we ever do for every presidential election, every candidate is trying to show you how they are the savior to the country, um, and some of them and not that guy, yeah, and not, not the other guy, woman. not the other yeah. yes, correct, and I would say that not not every president, you know, every elected president keeps that attitude once the election's over, um, the but some do. So, so one, one, 
one is currently. Um, but I think I, I think the, the perfect example of, of what it isn't, um, of what servant leadership isn't currently, um, I think is Donald Trump in most in some of the most recent actions. Now, there's an entire group of people and segment of the population that would argue that Trump's been under fire since day one and he's taking all these personal hits so he can make this country great again. And um, I would disagree. Um, I think he's taking hits because he did bad things. And so he's, he's, not, he's facing backlash for the bad things that he's done. But I, I think this, he acting out of self-preservation um, in many ways, uh, we just saw recently him in retaliation firing um, impeachment witnesses. And what's funny is in the in the firing of Sondland, apparently GOP senators were trying to stop him from firing Sondland because uh, they were trying to tell him that Sondland's already thinking about quitting anyway. Um, just let him leave on his own terms, then it doesn't look bad. And yet he insisted that he would fire them or fire Sondland. And um, don't get me wrong; like I'm not trying to sit here and and tell you all these people are all these terrible Republicans are all, are all bad and all terrible. I think there are some Republican ideologies that I would, that I think are dangerous, but in general, um, yeah, I would say this is more about specifically Donald Trump. Yeah. Yeah. This is about specifically Donald Trump. And I I think we, we are seeing someone who's acting completely in self-preservation to preserve. I mean, even the, there's some video he put on his Twitter that used to be, it was a sign of the next, you know, the next election years. And it was, it, it used to be that a, a picture of his children were on every year, you know, coming from, from, you know, from now, uh, every election year coming from now. And then it, they, the most recent form of that video was his kids were all removed from it. And it was just Trump for the next, you know, 50 years. And then once you get to, I think it was 2050, um, once you got to 2050, it was like, um, it started flashing forward until it finally just said Trump forever um, with a gif of Trump over it, you know, a little, a little animation of Trump over it. It's like that kind of thing of everything that, that this guy is doing seems to be out of an act of complete self preservation. And once again, in an election year, I would argue that every president is doing that, but I think I've, I've, I've seen a pattern of Trump doing that. Every candidate. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I've seen a pattern of Trump doing this through his entire presidency. Well, Um, and, and, the, the he he got elected on the very basis of the fact that he's not a servant. You know, correct. He's like a he's, he's man. never he's done a, he's a, a shrewd. He's, he's a, never yes. done a a day's hard work in his life, and that was part of the thing that got him elected. Was oh well, he's this you know this savvy business guy, um, and that's like the, the exact opposite to me. Again, like that's the exact opposite of what we understand servant leadership to be: is you're willing to do the grind, you know. Um, and, and that's the type of thing where it's like, yeah, you, you, it's, it's again, that complete opposite. But again, I think it's more than just that. I think we even have examples of, you know, talking about self-preservation. We, we recently had a leader in our church, uh, put out a series of tweets that, uh, quoted Elisha talking about criticizing leadership. And now, quote it, it referenced the Elisha and Forty Two Bear story, but it, it actually well, it referenced they quoted, it quoted all, all, yeah, all white. white. Sorry, that yeah, is correct. Which to it Adventism is a major thought leader. Um, many in our denomination consider yeah. her a prophet. Like it, like it, but she is a thought leader. And don't worry, yeah. you do not have to believe Ellen White is a prophet in order to be an Adventist. Just so we're like one hundred percent clear yeah, yeah, on yeah. that. Um, it's not like Luther or Calvin or you know, she's just yeah. one of the people that. I think really was was inspirational and in, in helping form who we are, but none of our you know the the point is like it's someone that they whip out when they want to have like authority. Yeah, a lot of times is like my here's my opinion, and Ellen White said something similar to my opinion. Therefore, my opinion is valid. And so this this person basically said uh, anyone who criticizes um, leadership is a sin. It's a sin to criticize leadership. Mm. Um, and making fun of leaders is that's why. And I'm like, okay, that's fair. Um, that is a story. And, and there is someone talking about, you know, why that's important. But I think that there's a difference between 
And again, I would say this. If you can't take a joke, like, I get it when somebody puts, um, okay, so in high school, don't want to be too graphic with this, but uh, does somebody uh, photoshopped a photo of um, one of our friends um, basically getting, uh, uh, remember the John Cena boat where he would like just slam someone to the ground? Yeah. And they photoshopped them uh, on the person that John Cena was slamming because they lost a debate or something. I don't remember. There was something where they took, took an L before that phrase came about. And uh, they photoshopped him there and it was just like, ha, 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 ha. Um, and they were super, they freaked out about it, right? They were not happy about it. They, they, they were like, oh, who did this? How dare they do this? And it was that person's best friend, right? Mm. Um, which is usually how that goes. Yep. Um, but they just totally freaked out. I was like, oh, this is so disrespectful. This is how dare they do this thing. And it wasn't like shared with everyone. It was only shared with a few people, but it, they had to apologize. Be like, I'm really sorry. I didn't realize that that was how you were going to take it. Um, that person wasn't put in a lewd structure. It wasn't anything like that, but it was, oh, you're a loser. I think there's a difference between like making fun of someone's statements, making fun of someone's, the, the things that they do versus making fun of someone's personal life. I think that's the difference. A servant leader to me doesn't need to defend themselves. They can, they can to a degree defend their ideas and their actions, but it's like, you don't need to worry about if someone comes after you personally, you don't need to go out and, and yeah. preserve that. Like, well, and I, I you don't I, need to worry about it. I would argue that, that well done satire is actually evidence that someone fully understands what you're doing. Yeah. Like you can't satire something correctly unless you, you really do know what's going on. I'm not saying all satire is means that the person who's doing it understands it. It could right. be based off of a full misunderstanding. And, and that's why I say well done satire. And I'm not necessarily saying, yeah. And I'm not saying that the person who tweeted this out didn't have a valid reason to do it. Um, what I am saying is like for certain leadership talking about the idea of self-preservation, when someone doesn't go after your personal life yep. to react that way um, is, is, and I, and I misspoke earlier. I, I switched it up in my head. When someone goes after you personally, feel free to do that. Like, you know what I mean? If they start trolling your personal life and hate threats and death threats, yeah, that's called boundaries. That's boundaries. But if they're just like, I think you said this really dumb thing to me, I think that friend that saw the, the Photoshopping, they reacted poorly. They reacted in an immature way. Cause it's like, dude, you totally took an L. You know what yeah. I mean? They did, they got owned in the, you know, they, they, they did. And it was actually very funny at the time. And they did, they weren't even offended at the time because it was clear like, okay, yeah, they took an L. So, um, that's the type of thing where it's like, Hey, they're not saying that you suck. They're saying that this situation you clearly lost this fight, but they took it as, Oh, you're a loser. You suck. Yeah. Um, and that's, and to me, that's the thing. It's like, if they're going after your family, if they're going after you as a person, as an individual, your identity, that's a different story. But when someone just disagrees with their leadership style, that's the whole point of servant leadership is you go, okay, well, is it working or not? That yep. humility to say, if, if it's not working, okay, then it's not working. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, so let's let's switch gears and talk about some positive things here. I think right. I think ending on the positive is probably a, a good thing to do. Right, and yeah. so we've got we've got to plenty. Um I'm gonna see how much time we actually have left to talk about these. Okay, good. We should be fine. Um so I think the the first one I'd bring up actually is Daryl Davis. Yeah, this so, is a great example. Talked about this several times on this podcast. Daryl Davis is like one of my heroes. I I think he's amazing. Um so Daryl Davis is a jazz musician who has convinced a black jazz musician. Let me be more specific who um, has convinced over 200 members of the Ku Klux Klan, the KKK to completely change, give up their robes. I mean, just completely change 
um, how they live and, and, and denounce it and turn away from it. The KKK, for those who might not know, is a white supremacist group in yes. the United States. Yeah, that's been here for a long time, long unfortunately. Time. Um, in fact, the KKK has even been involved on the college campus that I work at. Um, members of the KKK believe in the 60s when Oakwood would still, when Oakwood students would come and visit Southern, um, the KKK members would actually like patrol Southern and be around to make sure that there was no intermingling like going on. Um, it was yeah. bad. Yeah. Uh, the KKK are bad. I'm not saying yeah. Southern endorsed that. I'm just saying like, no, this that, was, that, happened, yeah. that that was a thing that happened. Yeah. And um, Daryl did this. He convinced 200 people to walk away from their racism and, and hate group by simply building relationships with them. So this wasn't someone who founded an organization or created this foundation or pumped a bunch of money and just did the, and, yeah. and just yeah. um, and just told other people to do it. Yeah. What he did was he literally went out and I don't even know how you begin that conversation of forming some forming a conversation with someone who hates who you are I'm as an ex- food just exists. Yeah, I know. It's the only way that yeah, I can, right? like, like I can't even so, but you like chicken. I also like chicken. But in doing so, this is the point. He was inspiring. He did the grind. He actually did the thing that he would that he would encourage yeah, others which, to do. I mean, putting himself at risk. Yeah, putting himself course. at risk and vulnerable. Um, and boundaries. In fact, his entire the entire um, I would argue that his entire you know decision to do this was done out of a boundary of this is not okay. Right, it was enforcing a boundary um, and doing so in a way that served. Because in in reality, he's also making the life of the of the Ku Klux uh, Klan member better, better yeah. as well. Yeah. So this is, and in doing so, also the lives of his entire group better. It's it is literally sacrificing uh, personal safety for uh, and risking personal safety in order to make the lives of his community, um, the black community, better. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. Well, and- and I would even say the greater community. Oh, yes, the greater community. Yeah, absolutely. Any, yes. any and all members. But just I would say just more directly yeah, definitely, yeah. his racial group. Yeah. Don't hang us. Like, yeah, that's definitely a positive, a positive swing. Yeah. But yeah, in that, in that, in, in the thing with Daryl that gets me is there, like, I've talked about, like, hey, we need to end racism. I, I, other than in my own personal life, I can't, to my shame, really say, like, I've gone out and done things to try to end it. I mean, I've, you know, brought in, uh, you know, I could argue I brought in, you know, uh, uh, speakers argued for people of color to come in and speak, um, argued for representation in, 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 you know, things that I've been involved with, uh, involved with, um, and in, and in leadership positions, but I haven't gone out and done what Daryl did. He did that. I've simply talked about it. Um, and I've, and I still support what he did, but he was totally willing to get in there and grind. He was yes. totally willing to to do the thing that needed to get done. And that's so amazing. So like an idea, kind of a simple idea of servant leadership then would be even the even the willingness to sit down and educate yourself on issues so that when you're talking with other yeah. people, you can say, hey, here are the resources Absolutely. I use, the things I did, um, because you participated in the grind to educate yourself and you're now in modeling that and inspiring that in others. Yeah. Um, Perfect example, which by yeah. the way, um, Andre Henry coming on, I think episode 107 or 108, yeah. um, great episode talking about how white, yes. traditionally white institutions can actually serve their their people of color, you know, minority population. Yeah. Um, and one of the questions he asked was, instead of asking how many black people or do we have black people in this photo or Hispanic people, he said, um, the best question to ask any, for any organization, the best question to ask when talking about photos or you know inclusion is to ask, does what we're doing adequately represent yes. every member or part that. of our constituency? And that is that is a complete reframing of the question yeah. of let's make sure we have a black person on this photo in this photo or on this page or whatever. Completely how many, yeah, how many black people are actually at our yeah. school? Um yeah, do it does have, does this photo actually yeah. represent that percentage of the population? If you have twenty four percent and you have, you know, two black two black people in the photo. Oh yeah, yeah. Just make right. sure they have like one finger in their pocket. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> no, but like that's a, that's it's and that's such a great switch of the mindset. It's like, okay, does this photo yeah. actually show the people yeah. who go here? So that is, does it serve our constituents? Um, and so I think that's a great one. Um, and then, do you want to talk about Malala? Oh I, yeah, I mean, I could talk about Malala all day. So Malala Yousafzai um, is a 
Pakistani. Pakistani. Yeah. Yep. Pakistani. Uh, Pakistani young lady. She's seventeen now. Who is she? I thought she was honestly, she's seventeen. Okay, I'll look it up while you keep you talking. Google that. Um, but when she was thirteen, uh, she was in a part of the country that is uh, very uh, extremely conservative um, in the Islamic faith. She's twenty-two. She's twenty-two now. Okay. Okay. Born in ninety-seven. Okay. Okay. So then, yeah. Oh man, this is a long time ago. Um, yep. And she was going. She was going to school. Like that's the whole thing. It's like they specifically said women should not be educated. They shouldn't learn how to read. So et cetera and so forth. She went to school, and the Taliban responded by shooting her in the face. Yeah. No. She also blogged for the BBC. Yeah. She had given talks on. Oh yeah. On, but yeah, her family had been receiving death threats. Yeah. And then one day she was on a school bus and they someone from the Taliban literally, yeah, walked onto the bus and said, and demanded to know who, uh, which one of them was Malala. And her friends looked at her, which gave her away. They shot her, I think, in the head and it went down her spine. Yeah. yeah. Right down her neck. Yeah. Just crazy. And, and she survived. And she, not only did she survive, but like she's able to, you know what I mean? Yes. Like she's she fully able like to it's, do everything it's she was doing. Amazing story. Um, did not stop her. Like that would have, I'd like to think that that wouldn't have stopped me, that I would have kept going, but I feel like taking a bullet to the face would stop me. I would be like, okay, you win. Didn't stop her. She kept doing it. And she moved out of Pakistan, but uh, she's continued to fight. And I think that again is such a great example of servant leadership. Um, you know, she, again, this is not to, to put hate on any of uh, the people who also have, um, you know, uh, female, you know, I, someone like Emma Watson, you know, who who mm-hmm. started a foundation and works for for women. That's not to hate on her because she hasn't taken a bullet to the face. But there are people who do start a foundation uh, with. How do I say this? I, I don't like the phrase philanthropists, anymore. but it's a tax write off essentially. Yeah, it's a tax write off. Um, because someone like Andrew, you know, the people who actually started that philanthropists, uh, like Andrew Carnegie and stuff like that, like they actually wanted to make people better. Um, but a lot of people today put like, oh, I'm a philanthropist because they have, you know, half a billion dollars in the bank and they give away two million, you know, they give away part of the interest from what they they have. And, the, you know, they don't ever do it by actually going out and getting their hands dirty. Malala went out and actually lived it and continues to, you know, get her hands dirty. And I think that's part of what's so awesome is literally putting yourself on the line. Um, and obviously these are extreme examples, but that's what servant leadership is about. Mm. Right. Um, it's inspiring through that modeling. Through your actually act through your actual it, actions. It's not, it's not just saying like, Oh, I'm so great. Mm. And this is the thing about Malala. She consistently says, like, I'm not really, like, my story is not different from anybody else's. Yep. She's like, I'm nobody. I just choose to get my voice heard, and I'm lucky enough to get my voice heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I think, is is what's amazing is she's not, it's not about, like, her story, except for the fact that she represents yeah. all these people. Um no, Yeah, incredible. Like incredible I said, I story, I yeah. all that, but that's... Um, I would... I want to add, um, this is actually really funny. I dropped my phone and now my dog is barking um, because it thinks she thinks that me dropping yeah. my phone on the hardwood is someone knocking at the door. Um, the last thing I would add is I, I, I want to add with, this one is kind of a word of caution um, because the other thing that we can, we can end up doing with servant leadership is we can idolize the idea and assume that just being a servant leader makes us inherently good or what we're doing right. good. It's, yeah. it's somehow it's evidence. Yeah. Word that, of caution. Yeah. Um, because even mob bosses can be servant leaders um, because you're serving your people or you can participate in the grind and you the can- The mafia dons, yeah, you know, like, they've all put someone in the ground. Yeah, like that. that's- They right. paint houses. But I think here, I want to share a really conflicted example of this um, in Blake Mykoski, who's the founder of Tom's Shoes. Now, when I was in high school and everyone, anyone who knows- me and went to high school with me knows I was obsessed with Toms. At one point I probably had somewhere around 20 pairs of Toms. Like I was obsessed with them. I haven't worn a pair in years, but um, the idea behind Toms was it's called the one for one business model. They still follow it. Um, But the idea was for every pair of shoes you buy, they will give a pair away in a country where kids are walking around with 
or people are walking around with no shoes. And the, this was a great model. This inspired everyone like, yes, I would love to buy a pair and know that a pair is going to someone that needs shoes. This was an excellent idea in theory. Um, he followed it. He did it well, um, well executed, did a lot. And he was out there delivering the shoes. He was out there actually involved in this. He's the one who developed the shoe. You know, this isn't like, this is an idea. This is, this is the epitome of someone who's participating in the grind, right? Well, also finding a way to make a profitable business for himself. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. Yeah. There's yeah, nothing yeah. wrong with yeah. that. The, and so the, here's an idea of someone we lot up as this is someone who's a servant leader who is serving a population and doing so well. The problem is the unintended consequences of his actions or an unintended result of his actions was basically that he decimated local economies because there are a lot of shoemakers and shoe sellers who now were being put out of business because all of the people that would buy shoes from them now just have a free pair of shoes. And this was, so he was decimating local economies in these, in these small villages and towns. Um, and that was kind of like the, the thing that no one talked about. Um, now I will say in, in researching him just before we recorded this, one thing that he recently started was a coffee line, Tom, uh, Tom's coffee line. And Tom's is just short for, for shoes for tomorrow. Um, but the, the coffee line actually uses locally sourced coffee from different countries like Ethiopia or whatever. And if you buy one, if you buy a bag, it supplies water for a week for the countries that, that actually source that they source the coffee from. So the idea is that actually now granted, I don't know where the water, how the water is being distributed or whatever. I don't know that. So I don't know if that side of it is decimating local economies, but the idea is that because he's, he's, he's sourcing it from those countries, he's still stimulating the economy. Yeah the coffee economy there yeah, and giving yeah. jobs. Although but, I feel like if you're making money off of water in a country that needs clean water, but he's uh, making money off of coffee. No, but I'm saying like, no, no, no. I'm saying like decimating the economy with the water. It's like, yeah, but if you're making, yeah, no, I know you, then you shouldn't feel like water should be a right. Like that's yeah. A, but the, the shoes, that bugs me. The, but yes, agreed. I get what you're saying. I, but that's okay. But, but that's what I'm saying. It's a it different is, take on. Yeah. Well, it's a different that, take rather than the, the, the point is that this is a flawed example that, that, what right. he's doing right. is not necessarily yeah. perfect. Inherently, it might be a good thing. You might you might think it's a good thing, but turns out there's actually damages. Right. Yeah. So servant leadership on its own is not necessary. It's the best way to lead, but yeah. that doesn't. But leading that way does not guarantee yeah. that what you're doing is right. Yeah, uh, it's like the 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 guys who started Patagonia. Um, they did it literally because they were like, we want to make better gear yeah. to to track Patagonia. And what they found is like. They made made such good gear at such you know better prices that basically there are too many people in you know hiking the Patagonia now, and so they had to like import restrictions. Like they had to create things. Like they they kind of the law of unintended unintended consequences kind of came in in that. But it's that same thing of just because you're a good servant leader, you still have to do a good thing with that. Um, servant leadership is a tool. It's not a, and the, the other thing that I think the law of unintended consequences worked with Tom's for instance, was if I bought Tom's shoes, now I don't have to help those countries. Is yep. that, uh, uh, Oh, Malcolm Gladwell, um, did a great one. It's the same podcast two weeks in a row. We're talking about the revisionist history podcast. Yep. With great Gladwell. podcast. Um, he talks about this idea of moral, um, moral licensing. Uh, and it's a brilliant, social commentary where basically he says like, I do one nice thing. Now I no longer have to be a nice person anymore. And, and that's the other thing with, with Tom's and it's the same thing with being a servant leader. Like just because you're doing servant leadership doesn't mean that you can do that, you know, by, uh, and then, and then take advantage of your people. Exactly. Um, you can be a good servant leader and a domestic abuser. You can be a good servant leader and, um, inappropriately, uh, you know, harass one of your employees or workmates mm -hmm. or whatever. Like a servant leader is not the catch all, but I think to me, it's a better way of leadership. Um, to me, I think it's a more biblical way of leadership for Christians. Um, I think it's just a general, more effective way I, to I lead. It really is. Like, it's a more effective way. Um, regardless. And this is what's interesting. Regardless of whatever, 
culture you come from. To me, this is intercultural because you can't say, oh, servant leadership, that's a Western white culture. No, because we don't really use it, honestly. Um, like, it, it, to me, this is transcultural. I had a friend say that, like, oh, well, I come from a different type of culture. This one happened to be a Latin culture. Like, yeah. we don't work that way. And, and it, you know, this is a very egalitarian type of thing. And I go, no, like, look at CEOs of major Fortune 500 countries. Uh, uh, companies like outside of maybe Google and even then you know they've they're not the perfect angel that we we always thought like this is trans this is this is beyond culture um this is something that's that's transcultural and we need to start thinking about it because you can apply servant leadership to anything whether it's a patriarchal system whether it's a matriarchal system um whether it's a mostly tribal um, whether it's a mostly uh, uh, quote unquote modernized or uh, westernized yeah. way of thinking, like any type of, of system, you have to think about this. Um, and especially in the church or in real life, um, those are the things that those are the things that I think we need to start applying it to and realize where it's from. Yes, I agree. And I think that's a good kind of note to end on. I I would encourage anyone to. Um, Try to be the try to model the change that you're trying to make, um, and the changes you're trying to make. And um, servant leadership is an idea for everyone. You're a leader, whether you hold authority, whether you actually hold a position of authority or not. You're a leader among your friends and yep. your sphere of influence. Whether you think you're the top dog or not, the way that you act and and make decisions matters. And so we would encourage you to do that in your own life. And yes, that absolutely does apply in issues of racial of racism, in issues of social justice, in issues of equality and equity. Um, across the board and so we would encourage you that way um, and to anyone who uh, wants to know more about it wants to talk with us more about it please reach out to us our contact info is in the show notes so you can yep. reach out to us but thank you guys so much for listening we'll see you next week you